This is the Food Factor Podcast, the show that talks about the connection between your health and what you eat or don't eat. I'm your host, Stephanie Mahachek, clinical nutritionist, health coach, science nerd, perma student, and mother of four. I love dogs, babies, and most of all, talking about all things health, wellness, and the weirdness of the human body. Thank you for being here. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Food Factor Podcast. I'm very excited about this episode, and I know many of you are as well, because I've been getting asked over the past, you know, couple of months, when are we going to hear about the sugar experiment? What happened with that? How did it turn out? What what did everyone learn? I have all that data and the info, and I'm super pumped to share it today. So, just a little background on it, if you are maybe newer to the show or following me or whatever. Back in January, well, actually it was December, in my research, I read a few studies that stated how quickly our taste buds and cravings for sugar can change. One research article said it could start to change in as little as 14 days, and another claimed six days. So I was super intrigued. So I wanted to put it to the test. I talk with a lot of people who state that they or feel that they are addicted to sugar or they have a sweet tooth or they feel out of control when it comes to sugar. So I was naturally curious if these research articles and these studies that were done would apply to them. And if so, could it really change their cravings in a short amount of time? So in January, this past January, I put together a very, very unofficial experiment where we had 24 people join me in reducing or eliminating sugar and artificial sweeteners for just 14 days. I had everyone take a pre-experiment survey, which of course we will go over, and I had them do this to capture symptoms that they were feeling in that particular moment or, or regularly prior to the experiment. The purpose of this was to understand what symptoms they have and how many of them were possibly sugar or artificial sweetener related. Now, just a sidebar with that, if you're thinking, I don't give a crap about this experiment, let's ask you, how are you feeling right now? Could some of your symptoms possibly be related to sugar? I had quite a few people in the experiment tell me I'll do this experiment but I really I don't I don't eat that many sweet things I'm not a sweet eater I don't crave sugar whatever these were the people that noticed how much sugar they were in in taking the most because they didn't think that they were having the notoriously sweet things they assumed because they didn't have baked goods or cookies or cakes or whatever regularly that they were in the clear not the case. So if you're curious what symptoms I might be talking to, we'll go over a few in a second. But for um, for some people, it could be headaches. They, it could be moodiness. It could be digestive issues that just don't seem to have any cause to them. I, I talk with a lot of people who have digestive issues and they've been to GI specialists. They've been to you know, they've done stool panels, they've done all these things, they've taken probiotics, they've taken prebiotics, they've taken all these things, and they still can't figure it out. And when we address sugar, and most importantly, artificial sweeteners and other chemicals, it has a huge impact on how they feel and some of their symptoms. I'm not going to sit here and say it's a cure-all and it makes everything magically vanish, but it has a big impact on it. 
So if you have any symptoms that you just can't quite put your finger on what could be the cause of it, this podcast episode might be for you. You might learn something from what these 24 other people went through and what they learned about themselves. So anyways, um, I wanted to uh, capture everyone's kind of current symptoms prior to the experiment. Out of the 24 people that registered for the experiment, only 19 of them actually took the pre-experiment survey, which is fine. Why five of them didn't, I don't know. Well, I mean, actually, I technically didn't take it, so I guess I do know. Um, but the most common symptom that people, or symptoms, I should say, plural, that people or participants recorded or experienced prior to going into the experiment were muscle aches and pains, brain fog or unclear thinking, that's huge when it comes to sugar and blood sugar balancing, joint pain, fatigue and sleepiness, headaches, and then a whole mix of digestive issues ranging from bloating and gas and diarrhea. Some people had constipation. So I just kind of lumped all of those together. Other uh, symptoms included um, sleeping issues, sugar cravings, and feeling unmotivated, which I thought was kind of an intriguing symptom that they felt unmotivated and they just wanted to record that. So when asked in the exper- or the pre-experiment survey, if you meal prep your meals or snacks, 63% said no and 37% said yes. Now, I have my opinions on meal planning and prepping, and I, I know some people go absolutely very much invested into meal planning and they get out little containers and they they have everything organized and labeled to each their own. If that is what you feel you need, great. Um, but there's layers to meal planning and prepping. And I'm going to, I think I did a whole podcast episode on this already or possibly an Instagram video. I don't remember, but that's kind of getting off topic. 63% said no, they don't meal plan. And 37% said yes. You might be asking, why would you even ask that on a sugar experiment uh, survey? Um, and it's because that takes in, that prep part can be very influential when it comes to cravings. So I wanted to capture that. So another question that was asked was when, uh, how many grams of sugar do you eat on a regular basis? Now you might think, well, uh, that's probably pretty easy to track, right? Well, 74% of people that answered the survey said they have no idea how much sugar they're intaking. 11% said it's anywhere between 11 and 25 grams and 11% said 26 and 40. And then 5% thought they were in the higher amount of 41 to 60 grams a day. Now, let me tell you, all of these people were wrong. <laughs> they were all wrong about what they were intaking because the artificial sweetener part of it is not included in added sugar grams on the label. So all of them were coming up short because most of them were having sugar-free items that showed no added sugar, but it had an undetermined amount of artificial sweeteners, which is equally as impactful. So anyways, there was a question related to sugar addiction where I asked, on a scale from 1 to 10, how addicted, quote-unquote addicted, do you feel you are to sugar? 10 was the highest, 1 was the lowest. 32% of people that took the survey said that they were at an 8. So 8 out of 10, they felt addicted to sugar. 26% put them at a 7, put themselves at a 7. And then there were varying amounts of, of you know, a couple in the 3 to the 6 range. So sugar was craved most 
in the late afternoon or nighttime or also after a meal and also when they felt stressed. So that's probably not a big shocker to most people. I think that's that's probably the most pivotal times, that late afternoon or, or nighttime after a meal, so lunchtime even after a meal, and then, of course, the, the stereotypical stress, you know, sugar and stress kind of go together. People put, they, I asked them to rate their sugar in, sugar craving intensity, and on a, again, scale 1 to 10, 10 being the most intense ever and 1 being hardly anything. Most people put themselves at a 6 or an 8. So I don't want to bog, I know it's hard when you're listening to something to just throw a lot of percentages and numbers at you. So I'm trying to make this as easy to, to hear as possible. So forgive me if I don't have everything broken down into percentages because I, I thought that would be kind of, you know, word vomit at you. But most people said they're at a six or an eight when it comes to sugar intensity or craving intensity. And the vast majority of participants, so over 85%, said they wanted to reduce their sugar intake and learn more about where sugar hides in their diet. That's why they joined this experiment. So cool. That's what I, that's what I created it for. So we started our own two weeks of reduced sugar. So some people decided to go cold turkey and completely eliminate it. And others decided to be selective with it and keep it in more of a general range. I personally, I did this experiment as well. I personally aim to keep it under or like in the range of like the 10 to 20 grams a day. Each day, there was a quick video that I put in the group about a sugar related topic. So for example, one was how to find hidden uh, sugars on a label. Another was added sugars versus total sugars on a label. Another was, are there any sweeteners that are kind of okay? Or um, also a lot of more behavior discussions around being on autopilot, finding your tougher moments with sugar cravings, uh, the many layers of a craving and noticing how your body is responding to not having sugar. So kind of connecting the dots there. So there were also uh, also small tasks to complete each day. And then we would check in on each other for those who chose to participate in that part of it uh, through a private message board. And I had a bunch of recipes posted in there as well. Um, and I also included two sample meal plans each week. So for those who didn't want to think about what to eat and they just wanted to follow something that was there for them. And as I've said before, the goal shouldn't be that you follow someone else's meal plan, but that you learn how to create your own meal plan based on your specific needs or the needs of your family. However, some participants simply preferred to just follow it because when faced with a new task, like focusing on sugar and, and sweeteners in their diet, they found it helpful to have that security of knowing what they were eating had no sugar. So they didn't have to think about it. It took one little thing off their, their plate, so to speak. I totally get that. And that's why it was an option for whoever needed it. How did it all turn out? As with any experiment or challenge or group in general, some people, for whatever reason, they didn't complete the 14 days. Now, I, I did know that some had family issues come up. Some had work-related things that kind of sprung up out of the blue. I get it. It's normal. It happens. It happens every time I throw a challenge or every time I do a group. It, it always happens. And when we peel back the layers, I find it super interesting. Many of those who didn't complete the post-experiment survey, because there was a post-experiment survey as well as a pre-experiment survey, Many of those who didn't complete it are parents, and they're specifically moms. 
So some of which I happened to learn, some of those moms had these stressors come up that were related to their kids or their family. And the natural pattern that we are all probably very aware of is that the first thing to go when dealing with a new or unexpected stressor, the first thing to go is usually your health or your self-care in some way. So for those of you who didn't finish it, I get it. I understand. It's no big deal. There were a total of nine people who ended up completing the survey. I also came to find out that five people did in fact finish the 14 days, but they just didn't do the survey. So again, totally fine. I'm glad you finished it. High five to you. So things that people who completed the post-experiment survey noticed were less headaches after 14 days, reduced bloating, weight loss, ranging from three to nine pounds. And again, this is definitely not something we were focusing on. It was not part of the discussion in any way for there to be weight loss, but some people did notice that. And again, I'm going to try not to get on my soapbox about weight loss, but one could draw the conclusion, and this is the conclusion that I drove, is that when you reduce inflammatory things in your diet, your inflammation goes down and inflammation shows up on the scale. So not saying that those three to nine pounds that some people lost were fat tissue. My thought is it's likely inflammation that they lost. Anyways, other people noticed that they were sleeping better, that they had more energy and that their cravings have improved. Some said their cravings were gone some said they were still there. Some said they are, they were the same. And so you might be thinking like, well, why would there be such a varying amount? So let's break this down. One of the things I went over in the experiment was the many layers of a sugar craving. So physical craving is one of them. That's your body's biology telling you that it craves sugar for a number of reasons. So it could be cortisol, it could be your gut bacteria, it could be low glucose in general. When you reduce the amount of sugar in your diet, this can balance out depending on how you are supporting your body with other things. So for example, are you getting more sleep? Are you balancing it with food? So many things go into that. So these cravings can seemingly go away. However, other layers to a craving include emotional and also simply a habit. If the physical chemistry part of the craving has resolved, but you still have an emotional connection or a habit that may not resolve in 14 days, but it could lessen. Does that make sense? So that could be why some people, if, if people's most triggering layer of a craving was their physical connection to it and they balanced that out by reducing the intake, those are the people who said their cravings were gone. They didn't have emotional ties. They didn't have habits around sugar, but they had the physical component to it and that went away. When other people said that their cravings were still there but maybe lessened a little bit, that shows that there are multiple factors to their craving that are at play. So maybe the physical one reduced, but the emotional one was still there and that's the one they're struggling with or the habitual one is still there and that's the one they're struggling with. We tend to lump it all together as a craving, but it's multiple layers to that that make up that initial craving. So when you take away or you um, heal up one layer of that, 
other ones could still be at play, but it could lessen the overall craving. I hope that makes sense. So there are many uh, theories on how long it takes to form a new habit, right? I mean, we've probably all heard 21 days, 67 days. There's lots of different theories on that. But repetition is absolutely involved. And it's possible this whole habit of uh, this whole new process of, of not having sugar or eliminating that part, that habit part of it, it's possible that it wasn't repeated long enough yet for it to completely improve. Just my theory. Let me know what your thoughts are. As for the meal planning part, in 14 days, over 89% said they now meal plan or plan out their snacks. Now, take this data with a grain of salt because there were less people who responded to this survey compared to the first survey. But remember, 60% or 63% said that they meal plan. Now, 89% said that they do. It's natural to assume that more people may be planning out meals when they aren't leaving their menus up to chance since they're now focusing on lowering a specific ingredient. They're more, they're more in tuned with that and more focused with that. So there was also an increase in people who lowered their daily sugar intake to 10 grams or less. So remember, there was a kind of a smattering of everybody doing uh, different degrees of sugar intake. Um, but this makes sense since... This was the focus of the whole experiment, right? Of course, most people are going to lower it. Nobody, as far as I can see, went up in sugar, which I suppose is a good thing. Of the people who responded to the post-experiment survey, most felt they were less addicted, quote-unquote, addicted to sugar. And the intensities of their craving also went down with most people now labeling their cravings on that scale of 1 to 10, most people labeled their cravings intensity-wise as a two, a three, or a five. So before it was mostly a six or an eight, and now they're down to twos or threes and, and fives. So many thought that things also tasted too sweet or they could notice a difference in their sensitivity to sweet. I had more than one participant tell me that I've ruined soda for them. <laughs> like now it just tastes too sweet and they can't drink it anymore. I mean, you're, you're welcome. I asked all participants, though, what they noticed throughout the experiment. And this is kind of some of the feedback I received. So this, I every couple of days, I would kind of check in. I would say, what are you noticing? And I took note of everything that people put down. Some of the things that they said were, I am so much more aware of sugar intake now. I learned so much about added sugar and artificial sweeteners and how they affect me. There is a lot more sugar than I thought in common daily items like salsa and bread. One person said, I need to continue to read labels and make the best choices possible. Another said, I can overcome my habits and cravings. I love this one. Yes, you can. You absolutely can overcome, overcome habits and cravings. No matter what the habit and craving is, you can overcome it. You just have to put the pieces together and support yourself to do that. Um, another person said, I learned that I can break my sugar habit and it's not as hard as I thought. Interesting. I learned, another person said, I learned how quickly I could change my physical cravings. Planning out food really helps and makes me feel in the driver's seat. Yes. And another person said, this experiment was very eye-opening and made me aware of how artificial sweeteners in particular made my cravings worse. I am so glad that that participant noticed that because that is a big part that people miss out on is the artificial sweeteners. Some of the things that I noticed personally when completing this experiment was I was hyper aware of how often I would mindlessly grab a handful of something throughout the day. 
right? It's that habit part of it. It's that autopilot subconscious habit part of it. I'm not immune to it just because I preach on it. It's still something I work with. Now I work at home. So I tend to try and keep more nutritious snacks around like trail mix. But when really checking the labels for added sweeteners during this experiment, even the trail mix that was my go-to, I realized needed I needed to swap out with something else, something similar because of the added stuff in it, mainly those M&Ms. I also noticed that my sensitivity to sweet things did change, but even more surprisingly, so did my sensitivity to salt, which makes total sense to me after the fact because a lot of things have that have added sugar have added salt because salt brings out sweetness. So this is why soda has more sodium in there than you'd think. And it doesn't taste salty, it tastes sweet. I don't drink soda very often, but it was interesting that by reducing the sugar in my diet, I not only altered my taste for sweet, but I also altered the taste for salty because it was kind of like a a, a happy coincidence that you know I also seemingly lowered my salt intake too. Also, within about two to three days of lowering my sugar, I was moody, I was achy, and I had a headache. I was, now, you know, I was expecting this to happen. And it's interesting that it happened to people at various points. This was definitely something that was talked about. It was something that was uh, taken note of with everybody. Mine was almost immediate when, you know, it was within that first, or, or was within, the, within that second or third day. I started getting those withdrawal symptoms, if you will. Others were the same. Some people hit that point around day like four or five, and a couple people felt it start more around like that second week of not having sugar or reducing sugar. And a few didn't have any withdrawal symptoms at all. And this obviously depends on the individual, but other factors can also play in here. For example, how much sleep are you getting? What other nutrients are you using to support your blood sugar and you're balancing out your meals, all of those other things? Also, if the majority of someone's sugar intake came from soda that also has caffeine in it, the headaches could be related to caffeine withdrawals or a combo of caffeine and sugar withdrawals. So it could all factor in there. Now, I want to do a massive disclaimer. This was not an official research experiment. I am not anti-sugar. I don't think people need to eliminate sugar in order to be considered healthy. I do, however, think there is an undeniable cause and effect when it comes to sugar and chemical or artificial sweeteners in our body. No matter how much you want to say that people shouldn't feel guilty for eating sugar, I agree. I agree with you. You shouldn't feel bad or guilty about eating sugar. But You cannot argue that there is an effect that sugar has on our body because it has to process it. It has to deal with it. It has to do physical functions in order to manage it. And in the U.S. currently, our bodies have been struggling to keep up with the sheer quantity that has been sprung upon us in our food supply. It has nothing to do with guilt or shame or feeling like you fail if you have a cookie. It has everything to do with the awareness of how your body reacts to all the added sugars and sweeteners that are in the food chain. We found added sugar in canned kidney beans for crying out loud. And I've said it in previous podcast episodes and I'll say it in this one too. 
when you expose your body to sometimes minute amounts of added sugar in things that you don't even know it's in, it raises your threshold. It changes your palate. It makes your body physically need higher amounts without you even knowing it. Then, then you add on all the emotional ties that we have to sweets. All the years of growing up with food as a reward. You got an A, let's go get ice cream. Your team won the tournament, here's a pizza party and cupcakes. All of that is added to it. Then you add in diet culture saying you have to look a certain way and in order to do so, you need to starve yourself. Then you add in the guilt and shame. Then you add in the learned responses to stress that involve sugar. It's all connected. There's not one layer that's more important. They are all important. And this experiment showed that the physical response to sugar is there. It showed that in a short amount of time, you can manipulate it. You can alter it and you can change it. Was it a guarantee that you'd never want to touch a cookie again? Of course not, nor would I ever promote that. The point in all of this that I'm trying to make is, if your body is giving you symptoms, if you have symptoms of GI issues, headaches, fatigue, moodiness, pain, inflammation, any of them, take a look at the possible role that sugar and sweeteners could be playing. Sugar in excess amounts is inflammatory. That is the undisputable human response to excess sugar in the body. I can break down the physiology if you want me to, but basically our immune system with all of its inflammatory cytokines and mediators, it responds to excess sugar in the body. The body responds with excess insulin. Our cells over time become desensitized to insulin and disease happens. No, you shouldn't feel guilty about eating sugar, but I also want you to be aware of how your body is responding to it now. Okay, I'll get off my rant, my little rant train now. I'm, I'm done. I'm just really, really tired of the battle online and in social media and between nutritionists and between health professionals saying you shouldn't feel guilty about sugar. No, you shouldn't. But you also need to be aware of how it's impacting your body. Anyways, so what do you think about all this? I also want to say that the reason it took me so long to make this episode was because I took this concept, this whole concept, and I applied it to one of my doctoral classes. My group and I did an entire study proposal using this concept and found even more research that connects the gut and the oral microbiome when it comes to tastes and cravings. It's really, really fascinating. There is rabbit hole beyond rabbit hole of all the information. So I won't be reporting on that in this episode because, you know, there's three other clinicians involved and I, I'd want to get their approval first and, you know, make sure we're all on board with sharing our research. But just know... It was fascinating and it went deep into hunger and full hormones, neurotransmitters, and and even strains of probiotics. So if you think your sugar cravings are just simply a lack of willpower, I mean, (laughs) no, (laughs) there's so much more to it and it runs incredibly, incredibly deep. If all of this sounds intriguing to you, maybe you have some symptoms, symptoms that haven't responded to other things you've tried. 
do you think reducing your sugar and sweetener intake would affect it? Are you willing to try it for two weeks? I've decided to run this experiment again. So starting May 1st, kind of coming up quick, but we will be doing another 14 day sugar experiment. I'm keeping it pretty consistent with the first experiment, but there will be a few more added things to it. I'm adding in some more recipe options. I'm adding in some bonus challenges for prizes. If you'd like to join, if you are curious as to what you may learn in two weeks of reduced sugar, click the link in the show notes or head over to foodfactornutrition.com and click on the group programs tab. Each time I've walked people through this, whether it was that first round that we did in January or private clients, I I walk private clients through this uh, whole experiment as well. Each time I do, I learn something new. They learn something new. It's incredible. I'd love to hear what you learn and what you notice. So join us. Click the link in the show notes, then let me know on social media that you're in. Tag me on Instagram or Facebook at uh, Food Factor Nutrition. I can't wait to get this next round started. So if you have any questions on the results of the survey, or if you are simply wondering if lowering your sugar or artificial sweetener intake would possibly help you, please reach out to me, send me a message, send me an email. I'm happy to talk with you about what your symptoms are, what you are currently experiencing. But I have to say, when people come to me with seemingly mystery symptoms or mystery causes of symptoms, the first area that I look at is artificial sweeteners and sugar. Even if you don't think you have a sweet tooth, even if you don't think that you're having a lot of sugar in your diet, you could be having more than you think. It could be uh, artificial sweeteners or it could be some other form of chemical uh, sweetener. So it's always, always something to pay attention to. All right, that is all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Food Factor Podcast. It is my personal mission to help people make the best food choices that they can for their particular situation. So if you found this episode helpful, I would be so grateful if you would share it with a friend or a family member or somebody who needs to hear this information and also leave me a review. Those are the things that help get this podcast seen and heard by more people who could use the help as well. I really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for listening.